And so, hey, a couple things. First of all, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I feel like I tried to make sure I met everybody this morning, but my name is Zach. I am the pastor here. And one of the announcements is that we have a digital connect card, right? And here's, here's the, the hope of this. The hope would be that this would allow us to get connected to you so that we can help you either get connected to Jesus or grow in your relationship with him. And so if you're new, I would love for you to take a moment and fill that out. There's a QR code on the screen, or there should be a paper version in a seat in front of you. Should be one at least close. Um, And here's the thing. This Connect card isn't just for those of us who are new. It's also a chance for you if you have a prayer request or something that you want to make sure that we know and you don't want to forget. Fill that out, and at the bottom in the comments, drop something in there. Check those every Monday morning, and as a staff, we love to get to pray for our body. All right, so connect with us if you haven't already. The second is there's a couple ways you can give. If you've made Peach Valley your home and you want to know how you give, there's two ways you can give. You can give online, all right, bsfbc.org slash give. There's a little drop down for Peach Valley. Or if you want to give via check or cash, we have a little drop box in the back. All right. And then lastly, for the month of October, one of the things that we have been thinking about um, is the word unity, all right? That's, that's been a word that's been on the hearts and minds of the leaders and pastors of, of our church. And so there's two things that we're gonna do. The first is that next Sunday, we're gonna have a joint combined service between both services. So everyone's actually gonna come worship with us in here. Don't worry, we have probably twice as many chairs as are currently out in the room that you don't go into unless you wanna be scared, Okay. Um, but it's going to be a chance for us to worship together, sing together, open up God's word together. I'm really excited about what next week's going to be. And then the week following that, on the 22nd, we're going to have a family dinner, right? So Sunday night, 5 p.m., we're going to provide the meat. If y'all could either bring a side or a dessert or a side and a dessert, I don't know how you roll to share. Um, it's going to be a chance for us, again, to just eat together, spend time together together. And we're just trying to think about, so how do we get our, our body, even if we are in two services, how do we continue to build not only unity, but just relationship between one another? So I'd encourage you guys, go ahead and put that on your calendars, um, because I think it's going to be a really fun event for us. All right, so we are going to continue in our journey on series, looking at the life of Abraham. All right, so we're in Genesis 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 16. If you, if you weren't with us last week, I'll give you a really short recap. Genesis 15, what we were looking at is how God responds to Abraham while Abraham is struggling with not yet having a child. All right, so what we looked at was a lot of Abraham's emotions and God's response to him. And so what we really focused on was what in this chapter makes God worthy of our faith, right? And there was a lot that we pulled and saw from God's character in chapter 15. And it's important that we remember what chapter 15 is about because as we turn to chapter 16, Abraham's circumstances have not changed, right? So everything that we learn about God's character and faithfulness to Abraham is continued on as we read chapter 16. And as we pick up chapter 16, right, Abraham is waiting, still waiting to have a child. And they're continuing to struggle. And what we're going to eventually see is that they're going to take matters into their own hands. They're going to get impatient. And there's going to be some unintended consequences. Now, 
as we read this story, what I've, what I've come to recognize is that Genesis 16 feels a little bit like a soap opera. And here's how it starts, is that rush ahead, make an impatient decision, and there's a lot of fallout. And I'm curious, have you ever been impatient, taken an unwise action, and that led to unintended consequences? Yeah, the murmurs mean, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was trying to come up with a good story, and I texted Lauren, hey, when was the time that I did this? And she, I think her first response was, um, literally every day. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, not only is that unkind, it's also unhelpful. <laughs> so I like, just went through my phone, like, I went to the top of my photo roll and just started like swiping through until something jogged my mind. And here was the first thing that came to my mind. So my first job, my first ministry job was at a church plant in Indianapolis. Okay, and what you have to understand about a church plant is that it doesn't really matter what your job title is. You do lots of things that nobody could have ever anticipated, okay? So I got hired as the student pastor, and I'm eventually leading kids ministry. I'm over the creative team. We released an album. I was, I, there was one day I made a thousand copies of a demo. Like literally just whatever the job was is what I did. And so I find myself leading a team of creatives. Our small like church of two or 300 had a, honestly a lot of creatives in it. And so as much as we could, we tried to utilize the creatives in our church as volunteers to do different things for us, which was really, really cool. Except when you're like 22 years old and you've never led anybody before, let me tell you who you don't lead, creatives, okay? Now, those of you who are creatives, here's what you need to know. I am extraordinarily grateful for you, okay? Y'all see things, you think about things in ways that us normal people never see and don't think about. But here's what you have to also understand, is that y'all are, uh, let's say, quirky bunch of people, okay? And one of the things that I learned is that this is true of every church I've worked at, is that we are never far enough in advance asking creative people to do the work we're asking them to do. That's been true when I was at a church of 200, and that was true when I was at a church of 10,000 with lots of paid creatives, okay? But little 22-year-old Zach gets an assignment, hey, we're going to create some new merch for the church. So we come up with a couple ideas. I get my team together. I think they came over to our apartment, and I pitch, hey, we want to do this shirt and this shirt and this hat, and I start delegating out some ideas. And one of the shirts that I was most excited about is we had a, a mantra that we were a church that was for Indy. Right? We wanted to be a church that was known what we were for, not what we were against. And so we were in Indianapolis for Indy, right? So the idea I had for the shirt, because what we wanted to do was turn the city upside down. That was one of our, our ideas coming out of Acts, where it says these men who have turned the world upside down have come here as well. So I'm like, okay, shirt for Indy. I want you guys to, I want somebody to design a skyline of Indianapolis for Indy. And then I want you to flip it, invert it, so you've got it turned upside down, Right? hand it out to a designer. She does it. It takes a couple of weeks. She gives it back to me. It's incredible, right? It's a great, it's exactly what I asked for. We send it over to the screen printer and they're like, hey, that's a great logo. But let me tell you something. It looks terrible on a shirt. I was like, can you be more specific? They're like, it looks terrible on a shirt. Like, okay, what do you propose we do? They're like, I think what you need to do is cut off the inverted skyline below. And again, I'm not a creative all I know is that I'm type A and there's a deadline and I'm trying to hit it. So I say, okay, do what you need to do, edit the file how you need to, 
make the changes, just get them to us on the date we said we needed them. So they did. They make the changes, they print the shirts, we get them in hand. And one of my favorite things to do was to get the shirt or whatever the person designed and kind of like, you know, present it to them as like, hey, not only do you not have to pay for the shirt, but look, look at what you created. Look at what you designed. And so I pull it out of the box and I hand it to this girl and she opens it up all excited and her face falls. She's like, hey, this, this is not what I sent you. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The screen printer said the thing and they, I just told them to make the changes. And what I didn't realize was that by making a quick, impatient decision, not going and talking to her about it, what I did was I not only hurt her feelings, I made her feel like her gifts weren't valuable and that she ultimately wasn't valued. And I'll be honest, I don't think she ever worked on a project for me again. Right? There were so many unintended consequences that to me didn't seem like they were a big deal. But because I did not pause to consider the ramifications of my decision and just said, hey, we got a deadline, we got to hit it, right? There were consequences I would have never thought would have been the case. And here's the thing. When we do things in our own way and in our own timing, there's always consequences we don't foresee, right? The, the nods that I see in agreement show me that y'all understand it. Here's the thing. Some of your stories, maybe they've had, they have more consequences, maybe they have less, but we've, we've seen this and we've experienced this. And here's the good news is that this idea of us rushing ahead in impatience is not new to me and it's not new to you, right? There are people back all the way to the Bible times where people have been struggling this, which means it's not only recorded in God's word, but there's some stuff that we can learn in the process, all right? So that's what we're going to turn and see in Genesis 16, starting in verse one, it says this, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. All right, pause. This Egyptian servant, most scholars believe, probably was added to their household when they left Egypt after they went down there during the famine, right? So they go, he's disobedient to God. All this stuff gets added to them. More than likely, Hagar is a part of that. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. So here's the thing. We read this, and it's really weird and uncomfortable for us, Okay culturally, it actually was okay for her to take her servant and give her to her husband to have kids. Okay, culturally, that was okay. Now, what we're going to see later on is that uh, Hagar never gets referred to as Abram's wife, which means God did not think it was okay, all right? But for all intents and purposes, it works, right? They take Hagar, they give her to, to, to Abraham, and what happens? She gets pregnant, Right? And it says that once she knows that she's pregnant, she starts to like realize, like, hey, now I'm the favorite. So she's flaunting it. Like, I imagine she's got that belly. She's kind of rubbing it. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I can, uh, right? And here's what I've learned, right? Like, this thing happens where early on in the pregnancy, right? I'm just, I'm just going to be honest, right? Like, you're like, I'm not, I'm, I'm pregnant and I feel like I'm showing a little bit, but I'm not showing enough to where people, like, do they just think I'm fat? And then there's a the moment where they like lean into it. You know what I'm saying? At the, like, like, so what it seems like is 
Hagar realizes she's pregnant, and just from the beginning, man, she leans into it, right? She's flaunting it. She's, she's holding it over Sarah because she realizes, hey, I'm the favorite. I'm blessed, and you're not. And so I think as we read these verses, it's, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and if we're honest, it's really easy for us to read these verses and judge Abraham and Sarah, isn't it? Because it's clear that what they're doing isn't right, even if Hagar gets pregnant. But I think that if we're honest, we can empathize with them, can't we? Right? Because technically, God had never said explicitly that the children of Abraham would come through Sarah. He may have said it to him, but we don't see it in the text. And besides, it's been 10 years. It's been 10 years of trying the same thing over and over again and not getting a different result. So I don't know, maybe God wants them to prove that they trust him by, you know, being active and not just waiting on him, right? Like you can almost imagine the conversations that are happening between Abraham and Sarah, right? You can almost see them rationalizing this decision. And then you can imagine that they assume that God blesses their decision when Hagar gets pregnant. And I don't know about you, but I really don't have a hard time empathizing with them because I do the same thing. When things don't go the way that I expect them to, when things take longer than I want to wait, my default and fleshly response is to begin to scheme to get what I want. And here's the thing. We're only 16 chapters into the Bible, and this is not the first time this has happened. Right? This passage is parallel on purpose to Genesis 13. Notice the similarities. Right? Eve thinks God's holding out on her, and what she do? She takes the fruit, she eats it, she gives it to her husband. What happens here? Sarah believes God's holding out on her, so she takes Hagar and gives it to her husband. And in both situations, the men have talked to God, they know what's right, and they still take. Right? It's supposed to remind us of Genesis 3. And both stories have devastating unintended consequences. Right? When, when we believe God is holding out on us, we, we believe we have to go to work. We have to scheme. We have to take a shortcut. But guys, what we see is that faith is living without schemes or shortcuts. If you and I want to be people of faith and live by faith, we live without scheming or shortcuts. So let me ask you, how, how are you tempted to scheme? Even You could even think, what area of my life am I tempted to scheme to get what I want? How are you tempted to take a shortcut? Right, maybe, maybe for you, it's in your career. Right? You, you work hard, you want to get ahead, and one day the opportunity arises for a promotion. And you know that the promotion is going to be based on results. And so the temptation is to cheat in some way to close deals. Maybe it's about lying about what you've accomplished and taking credit for things that other people have done. Maybe it's just by bad-mouthing your competition in small, subtle ways. I know for me, the way that I feel this in my career is that there, was, there have been periods of time where when you're, when you're like 22, 23, 24 as a youth pastor, like no one really says anything sarcastic and negative to you. But when you're like 27, 28, 29 and start having kids, people start asking the question like, hey, when are you going to like, you know, get a real job? Or when are you going to start, stop planning games and hangouts at cookout for a job, right? And... There, this was probably two years ago, but I, I just felt frustrated and stuck. And so the way that I schemed is there are two 
really good like job boards for ministry. And I would spend hours looking at them, trying to find something that made sense. And here's what would happen, is I would scroll for hours. There was never anything that made any sense or that I was in any way desired to do, but I just kept looking and kept refreshing. And Lauren over and over again would say, put your phone down, stop. You are trying to manipulate yourself out of this situation. And if God has not opened up a door, we're not supposed to go anywhere. Shut up, that doesn't sound true. Right, but it's so easy for us to scheme or to take shortcuts. Let me tell you another one that I've, that I've seen recently. I've seen this over the last two or three years in a way that maybe this isn't new, but I feel like the, the church world is just really seeing this, is that um, there's a shortage of quality, single, godly men in the church. And so what this means is there's this growing pool of single, godly women who are in the church trying to follow Jesus, asking, and I mean like legitimately, they'll ask me, hey, where's the guys? I, I, don't, I don't know. They're like, are there any you'd recommend? I was like, not right, not right now. Sorry. Uh, Kaylee, I, listen, I feel you, okay? <laughs> and, and here's what I've seen. And, and I've had these conversations is that like the temptation is for these single females to begin to take a shortcut and compromise on what they, the, the character and the qualifications of a man, and they begin to kind of take a shortcut and they, they, they lower them. Here's the thing. I've seen people lower them and still not be able to find somebody. <laughs> and so here's the question for you, Kaylee, all right? And for all of us, do we trust God enough to wait? Do we trust God enough to wait? And, and as I was thinking about patience this week, there's this part of me that wants to say, I'm not patient and I never will and move on. But here's the challenge, you guys. Patience is listed as a fruit of the spirit, which means it is not optional for those of us who are followers of Jesus. We don't get to pick. I really like love and joy. Peace is great. I'm going to skip over patience. That's not how it works, right? The fruit of us growing in our godliness means that we have to grow in our patience. And my guess is that in moments where we are waiting, it is an opportunity for God to cultivate patience in us. And, And I think that if we were honest, we would all agree that it is better to wait on God than wish we had. Because think about, think, just think about some of those examples, right? Like imagine what the consequences would be of having to live with, whether you get caught or not, cheating to get ahead at work and having to show up every day knowing I actually didn't deserve this and I'm only here because of a lie. And now what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go to my boss and tell him, hey, I hadn't actually closed those accounts and I didn't do it the way? Right? And we don't even need to go in the direction of like, compromising on who you're married to and living, right? Like it's better for us to wait on God than wish we had. And I promise you guys, there's no way that Abraham could have seen the unintended consequences of this decision. There's no world where he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this other lady as my wife and it's going to wreck my home. Because it, not just, it doesn't just make 
Sarah miserable, Sarah in turn makes Hagar miserable. Look at what, look at what happens as we keep reading. And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. And here's the thing, you guys, she's right, right? It's, it's almost like we're almost certain that Hagar is in their house because of his leadership down to Egypt. But even if that's not where she comes from, it is still Abraham's fault because he knew, right? He was the one who had talked to God. He was the one who had received a promise and he could have said no, but he doesn't. She says, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Yo, that's dangerous. I don't even know. I don't even know. Golly. Look at how Abraham replies. Look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Like, like, again, this is like, again, it's a soap opera. Like all, like, what are, what are we doing? Right? These are, these are, these are the people of God and this is how they act. And, and, and I want to, I want to make sure we don't miss all three of them respond incorrectly. Right? Hagar, Hagar shouldn't, like, like she's unkind, right? Like she's flaunting her round figure to Sarah, right? We know that's what she's doing. And then she runs away. She shouldn't have run away. We understand why she did, but she shouldn't have. Right? Sarah blames Abraham, which like, okay, is it mostly his fault? Sure. But it was her idea, right? So it's, she's, she's to blame. And then, right, she abuses Hagar. Like, we don't know what she does, but if you deal so harshly with somebody that they decide while pregnant, I'm going to try to go all the way back to Egypt, maybe a thousand miles, right? Like, I don't know where she is. If she's in her first trimester, I'm not sure Lauren can walk 10 minutes, that's not true. We did two hours last weekend all the way to Drake Mills, but certainly not a, like a thousand miles. And then Abraham, right? We, they're sitting in the consequences of him leading them to Egypt. And then he abdicates, abdicates his responsibility and he's passive. And so even though all three of them respond incorrectly, fortunately, God is still active and a part of the story. Look at what it says in verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of waterness in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Right, so she's on the way to Egypt. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. So notice, at no point do we see her referred to as Abraham's wife, right? Which is a little bit why we don't think that God recognizes this as what they were supposed to do. It's just Sarah's servant. It says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. All right, and so let's, let, let's, let's take a moment and address what I feel like is the elephant in the room with this story. It's why does God allow us to get to this point? Right, like why doesn't he step in before this moment? 
Because it would be easy for Hagar to say, man, God, this God who apparently has shown up and been personal to Abraham has not been personal to me. He's not protected me. Is he even aware of what's going on? Guys, if we don't believe that God is aware of our situations and active in our lives, then we will begin to doubt if God is good. And if he's good, then he must not be in control. It would be easy for us to question God's character. But before we doubt his character and his heart, let's let's remember, God is not responsible for the sin of Abraham and Sarah. Sin always has consequences, and Hagar is the victim of those consequences. But notice, who does God move towards? Right, like if, like if, if I'm writing the story, I, I'm the angel of the Lord, I'm going to Abraham, and I'm like clapping him on the top of the head, like, hey man, what are you doing? Right, this was a horrible idea. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have listened to Sarah. And after she became your wife, it was not okay to let wife one treat wife two this way to the point where then wife two runs away. But that's not what God does. God sends a representative to go to Hagar, who I think about as the least of these, right? She's a foreigner. She's a servant, right? She is the abused. She's the marginalized, right? It shows us that God cares about the least of these. He cares about the abused. And I would argue that he cares about this unborn baby. Even though there's going to be tons of conflict that comes from the downline of Ishmael, God cares about Hagar and Ishmael. It shows us a lot about God's heart. And here's the thing, I don't know. I do not know why God allows the story to go this far before he steps in. But what we see is that when he steps in, it shows us that he cares, that he's aware, and that he's actively involved. And so guys, faith is believing that God is aware and active. In moments where it doesn't seem like he knows what's going on, right? In the moments where your heart, even if you don't say it out loud, goes, God, do you even, do you even see what's going on? Do you even see what I'm experiencing? Do you, even, do you see how this person is treating me and how I'm not even making defense for myself? God is aware, God sees. And then more than that, God is active. And I think what happens is that we, we don't see God acting in the way that we want him to or think he should. And then we, but we, we forget that just because it feels like he is silent or, active or, or absent does not mean he's not active. That God is always working in ways that you and I can't see and don't understand. And so in faith, we believe God is at work. In faith, we believe that what we are experiencing, good or bad, is a part of God's plan. In faith, we believe that God is able to take all of life, the good and the bad, and work it for our good. And what I've recognized is that this usually only gets clear to us when we've had some time and perspective. Right? When, we're, when we're in the middle of a difficult moment, it's very difficult for us to go, you know, I can just see really clearly how God is seeing me and acting on my behalf. No. In those moments, we have to believe it. And then as we look back, we get to see it. And so last weekend, I had the opportunity to, to see this on display through a friend of mine. So I have a friend, his name's Drake. And for the last three years, he spent um, in a, on the mission field in a country I won't say because it's illegal to be a Christian there. And 
as we're sitting around a table, he's back in town talking about life and how God has been faithful. It was really cool. Somebody threw out the question. They said, hey, we're all 30. What did you hope when you came to Wofford? We were all friends from, from Wofford. What did you hope your life would look like right now? My friend Drake was like, well, there were really only two things. I wanted to be married to Maddie, who he's married to, and I wanted to serve as a missionary. He's like, those are really the only two big things that I wanted to be true of me at this point. And it was cool to watch the dots connect for him to see how God had been faithful, even though the journey and the timing had not been anything like he'd hoped, right? Did he, was, it, was it Drake's plan that Maddie would break up with him for a while for another worship leader while, he was in, while we were in college? No. Was it his plan that he would start his ministry journey as a youth pastor in Minnesota? No. At church on staff with the same guy that his now wife broke up with him for? True story. Can't make that up. Right? No, none of that would have been his plan. He wouldn't, I, I heard this from his lips. He said explicitly, there's one country I don't want to go to. That's where they just spent three years. And I promise you, they would not have spent, they spent time, y'all, they would get a call. Hey, y'all have 24 hours. There is a group of terrorists coming looking for Christians and Americans. Y'all got to go. Y'all got to cross Y'all got to cross into another country because it is not safe to be here. And here's what, here's what it was really cool to see him recount is that even though he would not have chosen the path or the timing that God had not only been faithful, but God had been kind. And God had gotten more glory out of authoring his story the way that he intended than we could have had we gotten to be the author. And so my question is, have you, have you taken some time to reflect and seen how God has done that in your life. Because I think when you and I will pause and look and say, man, I, I wouldn't have written my story this way, but I wouldn't change it for anything. That is one of the things that helps you and I go, hey, I'm, I'm going to submit to God's will, God's plan, and God's timing. Because I do not want to jeopardize what God is doing, and I don't want to bring unnecessary consequences into my path. And so let me ask you this. Do you believe that God is actively at work in your life right now? Do you believe that? Even if you can't see it, even if it feels like he's silent or absent, do you believe that God is at work in your life right now? And then let me ask you this question. This, this might feel like a weird question, but do you assume the best about God? Do you fill in gaps with doubts and questions? Or do you fill in waiting periods with belief that he is good and he is at work even though you don't understand? I think if we're not careful, what at least I find myself doing is I find myself judging God. And what I mean by that is that there's a part of me that believes that if I was God and I got to write the story, that it would not only be different, but it would be better. My guess is even if you wouldn't say it that way out loud, because it doesn't feel really good to say out loud, that there are moments when we believe that. So do we believe that God is active and aware of what's going on? And I think what's, what's interesting is that in this story, the person we expect least to get this right is Hagar. And yet what we see is that she's the one who not only God comes to, but she responds and does exactly what he says. Look at how she responds. 
Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me, right? That, that word there is like there's El Shaddai. This is El Roy, the God who sees. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Be'er Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. Like just, just notice, she's, she's so clear that God personally has not only seen her, but come to her. And so it says you can still find this well. And so, y'all, there's a lot that Hagar could have focused on. Right, she could have, if, if, she, if I'm Hagar, I'm focusing on the negative. God, why did you let me, of all the families that I could have gotten kicked into out of Egypt, this one, this love triangle, this mess? God, why did you let me get treated poorly by Sarah? God, why doesn't my husband protect me? And then God, why is my son going to be at odds with everyone? Right, there's a lot of negatives she could have focused on. But for those of you who are a little bit more glass half full, she also could have focused on some positive, right? Think about this, okay? Thousands of years ago, no sonograms, no nothing. She knows at this point, she's gonna have a healthy full-term pregnancy. She knows that she's gonna have a son, right? Culturally, this is a huge deal. And then she's gonna have many descendants through this son, right? There's actually a lot of positive she could focus on. From a worldly point of view, she could have gotten derailed by all those details, but that's not what she does. Notice that she focuses on God. And that's one of the things that I think is important for us is that faith is focusing on God and not all the other details, right? Faith is focusing on God. Because I think what can happen is that in, instead of focusing on the creator, you and I can often get distracted by the creation, right? Like we, we can get focused on the gifts that he gives us instead of the giver of those gifts. And if you're like me and a lot of my generation and Gen Z, we can get so consumed with the story or the narrative of our life that we don't pay attention to the author, right? And we get derailed, we get distracted. And when we focus on the details, this is what I've learned, is that we focus on Right? We focus on our circumstances. But notice, when we focus on God rightly, we respond in worship. Right? That's, what, that's what Hagar's doing. Right? There's all these details. There's all these difficulties. She's had an experience with God, and what is she focused on? God, you see me? Right? Like I'm off alone in the wilderness, running away. You see me? Right? And it's like, I mean, she, it's like bursting out of her. And this is what's cool, y'all. She is the only person in the Old Testament that gives a name to God. Like, think about that. Everybody else receives, I am, well, I am, and then, right, like, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Like, there's all these names that we have for God that ultimately God gives himself. Hagar names God. That's how much she is worshiping. She's like, God, you're the God who sees me. And so in this chapter that plays like a soap opera, let me show you how it finishes because it finishes in the least eventful way. Look at what it says in verse 15. So Hagar gave Abraham a son and Abram named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Right, all the fanfare, all the things you'd expect, right? Crazy birth story, give me something, right? Nothing. So she 
gives birth. And if you notice, look at this. Sarah does all of this because she wants to have a son through Hagar. Notice whose name's not mentioned once. Right? She doesn't ultimately get the thing that she desires. And I think that's a warning for us, that when you and I try to take life into our own hands and make things happen, scheme and take shortcuts, very rarely do we end up with what we are hoping for. And so I'm curious, whether you're in a season filled with a lot of positive details or filled with some negative details, how does your faith need to grow in this season? Do you need to resist the temptation to take life into your own hands by scheming or shortcuts? Do you trust that God is aware and active in your life? Do you believe that he sees you? Do you believe that he's good? And then let me just ask this. Are you focused on God or the details? And here's the thing, you guys. What I've learned is that God actually cares about the details. So what, is, what, what area do you need to grow in your faith? And then I wonder this morning if there's anyone in here who, if you were honest, you would admit that you've never put your faith in Jesus. This morning, what I want to ask you to do is to zoom out from all the details and see that God is good. God is kind. God's in control. He is personally aware of what you're going through. And he wants to be actively involved in your life. And I would just ask, is this the morning that you want to invite him into your life a Savior and Lord? And so what I want to do in a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I'm done praying, we're going to get a chance to sing together. And while we're singing, I'm going to go stand back close to the coffee bar. And if this morning you need to talk, you want to pray, maybe you realize that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would love to get a chance to talk with you and pray with you this morning. So let's pray together.